So today is New Year's Day, and it's also, um, for us, Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany happens on January 6th, and, and pastors can choose whether to do that on the Sunday before or the Sunday after, and we've, I've chosen to do that today because I think that, that the idea of a new year and the blessings of a new year and and Epiphany kind of go together. So we're going to read that story in Matthew that talks about uh, the Magi. It's found in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear these words this morning. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in the east, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. May God grant us his understanding of these words this day, the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. So we are right in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas. So from Christmas to Epiphany, there are 12 days, and we're kind of right in the middle of that. Um, and as I think about you know, the Christmas holidays. I wonder, how many of you still have your house decorated for Christmas? Yeah, I had great plans of taking the tree down, and that didn't happen. But I'll get it. But there's something about having those lights in my living room that just brings me peace. And so I usually kind of he hesitate to do that to take it down until the last possible moment. And we use a real tree, so that last possible moment is when I notice that the, the needles are falling, and I take it down. 
So we're right in the middle of that 12 days of Christmas. Epiphany is the celebration of God manifesting as the baby Jesus and revealing God, God's self, to the world. It also marks the day that the Magi uh, meet up with Jesus for the first time. So today we're going to look at this journey of the of the ma the magi, or or some call them the wise men, although there's there's some question about how many and who. So we're going to look at that today. And one of the first things that I notice when I look at this account is that it's very different than the things we see in Christmas pageants. It's very different because. Often the, the Magi come to the, the stable and the manger and visit baby infant, baby Jesus, right there. But that's not what I read in, in Matthew's account. I read that they're in a house. And, you know, it seems like the Magi somehow get from where they are in the east to, to Bethlehem with a snap of the finger, but actually it's a, it's a long period of time. There's, scholars kind of think it's between like 18 months and two years, somewhere in there for that journey. We don't know a whole lot about these wise ones, um, except that, that we know that there were, were three gifts. You know, that's why we think there are three of them, because there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the thing is, if these people were coming from the east to Bethlehem, they wouldn't have come alone. They would have had their households with them or, or, or their entourage that they would be traveling with. And so, you know, although it's kind of fun to think about the, the Christmas pageants, the reality is that, um, that there were probably a lot more than that, than those three. And we assume that they were, were male, but that might not have been the case because the Magi could have been female as well. So we just kind of have this, Christ, or this tradition, church tradition, that says that there were three and that they were men. But Magi is neither male nor female, that word in Greek. It, it's just there's... Singular and plural, and that's, that's how that word is put through their magi, is a plural word. And then also, when we look at the Greek that's talking about this part of Scripture, also when they talk about the child Jesus, it's the word for child, not infant. So that gives more evidence that this, this some time has gone by. And we like to think of them being the three kings. We three kings of Orient are. But they weren't exactly kings. They were more, um, what would be the word? Astronomer? Yeah. Yeah, scholars. They were, they were people who studied this, the stars and, and tried to find the mysteries of the world in, in the night sky. And so they studied the sky, and that's how they noticed that there was a new star in the sky. 
And when they saw the new star in the sky, they began to look at all kinds of scrolls and, and talk to all kinds of people to find out if there were any cultures or religions that talked about a star appearing in the sky in that particular place. And that's when they found the idea of a child being born in Bethlehem that would be the Messiah. And so then they went searching for where they would find the baby. So the first place that they go is Jerusalem, because that is the center, that's where the temple is, and so it makes sense that they would go there. But they were actually not in the right place. They went to the wrong place first. And there they went to the wrong person <laughs> to ask that question. So they went to King Herod, they asked King Herod if he knew anything. And one of the things that we know historically about King Herod is that King Herod ruled um, in a very cruel way. The King Herod was very um, exacting. In fact, he wasn't really supposed to be the king in Jerusalem. He just kind of worked his way up to that. He bribed the right people. He did the right things to become king. And so his place as king there was, I guess in a word, precarious. And so the idea that another king was coming probably scared the bejeebers out of him. You know, he thought that, that this was someone who would take over what he held. So when you kind of look at this background, you see here come the, th the three or the many come into Jerusalem, go to the King Herod, ask King Herod about this king that's supposed to come and be the king of all kings. In other words, the king of Herod. And so Herod is, is worried about that. And so what does Herod do? He calls the Magi to, to him and he asks a few questions. So how do you know that this is going to happen? And when did you notice that star in the first place? Because then he could figure out how old this king was. And so he's, he's plotting and planning to, to do his worst. And, and often in the church, we kind of skip over the part where Herod sends his armies to kill the children in Bethlehem to and under. But that's where it's coming from. It's coming from his place of, of jealousy, his place of fear, and wanting to hold what he has. So he sends those, uh, he sends the Magi on with the idea that they're going to come report back and then he can do his, his worst. He can do his evil. So that's kind of the background of King Herod. So the... the these magi take off and go to Bethlehem. They find the child in a house and they offer gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Last year when we talked about Epiphany Sunday, we talked about the different ways those things were helpful. Gold, of course, gave them the money that they needed to flee to Egypt. 
Frankincense was used for a whole lot of things, including healing. Um, you know that frankincense even today can be used for any number of, of skin conditions. Um, and myrrh, of course, was the, the perfume of choice in uh, anointing bodies for burial. And so there were those three things. They were very practical. Now, one of the things that I've always thought is really funny, there, there's this meme that's out there that talks about if the, the three wise men had been women, what they would bring um, to the, which would include diapers and formula and all of those things. You know, all of that aside, I think that, that, uh, that what they did bring was practical and helpful and good. And it said that they were warned by a dream to go, to go home another way. And then we also know, if we read on in scripture, then um, Joseph had a dream that told him to flee to Egypt. So these three magi, or many magi, came to worship an unknown to them king, brought gifts that were practical and helpful and also, if you look at the, the symbolism behind those gifts, gold would be for a king. Uh, frankincense and myrrh were, were anointing things that would be um, also for royalty. And myrrh was probably one of the most expensive perfumes ever. So we're, often when we look at the Christmas story, and we did on Christmas Eve as well, we looked at the story where we, we celebrated the, the shepherds coming and Mary treasuring everything in her heart. And all of those things are kind of still echoing in our mind, at least in mine. As I'm, as I'm looking this week, I'll take down Christmas here in the sanctuary. Um, and we'll begin to walk into the new year. But I wanted us to linger here in this place. Because I wanted us to think about one other thing about this story. And I'm just going to lay it out for you. You know, I wonder what it felt like to be the Magi. And to be told to go another way. How many of you have been on a journey? And you have it all planned out. Maybe, maybe it's not a, a physical journey where you're traveling or driving, but maybe it's the journey of your life. And you figure out you know exactly what's coming. And then something happens. And you have to go another way. Do you know what I'm talking about? So many, many times in my life, I have thought that I had it figured out. Okay, God, you just need to understand that this is what I'm going to do. And every time that I've approached life that way, I've had to consider this word that's kind of my mantra, recalculating. I have to re figure out where I'm going and how I'm going. 
Now, you have to understand that one of my very tender needs, when we look at that as kind of compassionate communication, we have tender needs. One of my tender needs is predictability. And honestly, friend, I'm, if, if that is what I cling to, I'm in the wrong business. Because in interim ministry, there's no predictability. And so I kind of say that that's a tender need for me with tongue-in-cheek, knowing that I can survive if life is not predictable. Knowing that not only have I survived life not being predictable, I have thrived in that place. But I think that, that we in our world want that predictability. We want to know we can get to Bethlehem going this way and then turn around and come back the same way. We want to know that we can go to Jerusalem and then we can go the same way. We want to know those things. We want to know that when we started this project with the apartments next door, that it would fit a perfect timeline and we would be open already. That is predictability. But what I've, what I've come to understand is that sometimes we have to be in what's called the waiting place. We have to wait for things to kind of shake down and get ready. You know, when I first came as your interim pastor, I, I was thinking, oh, 11 months a year. You know, that'll, that'll be what it is. And, and the thing is that I wasn't looking for work when I came to you. I had some plans for a summer off, but I felt called to come here to share my life with you for that amount of time. I thought that that was, that was what I needed to do, and you know it was. Because here's what I know about life that takes us going another way. We become changed. We transform when we're open to going another way. One, my very first sermon that I shared with you was one where I talked about, and some of you may remember, I talked about living in the hallway. I talked about how often we end up in a hallway where, where one door is closed and we're waiting for another one to open. And I kind of put that in line with what it was like to be a church in transition, that sometimes we're there in the hallway and, and the doors aren't opening yet. And I like to think that my job as your interim pastor is to come and be in the hallway with you. And one of the things I said in that, that sermon was that, that what happens in our lives is we're, when we're in the hallway, God is working out here to make things ready for us. And at the same time, working in the hallway with us to make us ready for things. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking about as I'm holding this idea of the Magi going another way and realizing that that's the story of our lives as well. We go another way. Maybe it's saying no to something so we can say yes to something else. And maybe it's just waiting for waiting for that door to open. Maybe those things are important. We know that the, 
the Magi came to pay homage to the baby or the child. And I wonder when we're trying to figure out which way we're supposed to go, if we remember to do that too. If we remember to praise in the hallway. You see, they went to Bethlehem. And while they were there, they were told to go another way. But before they left, they paid homage to the child. Another way. Another way. That is what strangers, outsiders, newcomers, foreigners often offer. Is another way. We sometimes hear the words another way and make them negative. Another way sometimes because becomes a challenge to our way. Is that true? When we're offered something different and it's not what we expect, does that challenge us? Does it inspire us? I wonder. Because I think that sometimes we don't want to go another way. We want that predictability that I talked about. We want it to be our way, not another way. But here's a little word of wisdom for you, and that is when we remember that our way may not be the best way. And I'm lighting the Christ candle at this place because here is a babe who was born in a borrowed place, laid in a borrowed bed, met by people who were outcasts. You know, that's what shepherds were. And magi, or kings, or whatever you want to call them, brought gifts fit for a king. All of those things kind of contradict each other. Yet, yet, when we think about the gifts that Christ has for us, gifts that God has for us. It's pretty amazing. You know, there's a scripture that talks about God working for good in all things. It's not God saying that all things are good, but working for good. And I think that a babe lying in a borrowed place who grew up as a carpenter, who taught, who was not always accepted, was, was teaching us how to work for good in another way. Everyone that Jesus met on his journey, he saw as a person. Outcasts, commoners,
So as we begin to enter in this new year, I invite you to think about the ways that you are changed by Christmas, by the giving that we do, by the ways in which we show love, and love is showed to us. Does it change who you are? Does going another way, a way that might be different from what the world out there is teaching, does that change who you are? And more importantly, does that change the world that we live in? I think it does. I think every time that we extend the welcome that we have ourselves have received, that we extend every time that we extend kindness, every time that we show we care, hands and feet, that we change the world that we're in, and in turn, we ourselves change. As we look at going through this next month together and the fact that Ari your pastor, will be arriving at the end of that month. I would say we have a door that's wide open. And yes, the door of my ministry is closing, our relationship together is closing, but I'm supposed to be in the hallway. That's what I do. And this door is open, and we're going to spend the next four weeks after this one together taking a sneak peek at what that door might look like on the other side. What a blessing it is to begin this new year together. Truthfully, none of us knows what the year will hold. For us or for the world, for our neighbors, for Ari, was coming to be with us. We don't know what that will be. But the one thing that I can assure you 100% is that you are not alone going on this journey. You have each other. You have a star guiding you on the way. And as we travel on that way in new and unexpected roads, we need to understand that our Emmanuel will be with us, God with us, alongside us. We remember who and whose we are. I wonder, my friends, do you have your walking shoes on? Are you ready to step out? May the one who created the stars gave us a baby. May that one bless us and keep us. May the Lord's face shine upon us with grace and mercy. And may the Lord look upon us with favor 
And may the Lord give us peace now and forevermore. Amen.